I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hello and welcome to The Parenthood. While some parents would rather not know about the risks to newborn babies, I've always believed that knowledge is power. Today's topic is not glamorous, and for some it might be frightening, but knowing about its existence could save your baby's life. Group B strep, while rare, is one of the most common causes of life-threatening infection in newborn babies. Currently, unlike countries like the US, Germany and France, the UK does not routinely test for GBS in babies. And with me today is a woman who is on a mission to change this. After her second son, Theo, died 17 hours after he was born from Group B strep, she founded Group B strep support to improve the prevention of life-threatening infections, support families and health professionals affected by GBS and support research. Jane, thank you so much for coming along today. Thank you so much for inviting me. It is such an important conversation to have. I mean, I teach obviously antenatal classes, and we always we've always covered Group B strep, and I'm amazed that so few people know about it. But let's go through back to the beginning. What is Group B strep? So Group B strep is a very common bacterium that lives in adults and humans generally. Um, Its home in the body is the lower intestines, typically, and at any one time, somewhere between 20 and 40% have it there, quite naturally. You wouldn't have any signs or symptoms uh, that it's there. In women, because of the close proximity between the vagina and the rectum, it's very common to find it in the vagina. And again, in the vagina, there are no symptoms associated with it being there. So the only way that you can find it is if you test for it. So it's not like thrush where you do have that sort of manifestation, that uncomfortableness. You just it's it's fine if you have it absolutely you can the vast majority of times you can completely ignore it and uh, absolutely you wouldn't have a, a sign like with thrush but in testing for something like thrush sometimes those tests will pick up group b strep uh, so sometimes there's a bit of confusion about whether it's an infection or whether it's carriage and it's just carrying it which is living in and on the body without causing harm so when does it become a problem It can become a problem to a baby around the time uh, of birth because it's in the vagina, it's in a really good position for a baby after, particularly after the waters break, although occasionally before uh, the waters break, or during birth for the baby to expose to the bacteria. The vast majority of times, the babies will just shrug it off without a problem. Sometimes they'll be carriers themselves, sometimes not. Again, that's irrelevant. But what the problem is, is sometimes those babies will develop a group B strap infection. And we can't really tell ahead of time which of those babies will develop a group B strap infection. 
there are some things that make it a bit more likely. So, for example, if a baby is born preterm, so before 37 completed weeks of pregnancy, then preterm babies are much more vulnerable to all kinds of things, including group B strep. You know, their immune system is in no way as developed as a full-term baby. So we know that there are some situations that make a baby at greater risk of developing a group B strep infection, but we can't at the moment say definitively which will and which won't. And sort of numbers-wise, what percentage of people, you said 40 to 60%, is that right? 20 20 to 40% of women are carrying group B strep. What percentage of those would potentially pass it on to their baby? So... In the UK, the average is around about 20% of women carrying group B strap at any one time. And of those women, somewhere around about half of them will pass the bacterium onto the baby. But most of those babies, as I said, won't be affected themselves. So if a woman is carrying group B strap as she gives birth, around about 1 in 300 to 1 in 400 of those babies will develop a group B strep infection if no preventative measures have been taken. And what are the consequences of those kind of infections? The the three infections that group B strep usually causes, uh, if it's going to cause anything, are sepsis, pneumonia and meningitis. So, and quite often in combination... And each of those uh, can be life-threatening. So the, the, the consequences for the baby are that they can be incredibly sick. Sadly, even with the best medical care, about 1 in 20 of those sick babies will die as a result of their group B strep infection. And a slightly higher proportion of the survivors will suffer long-term health issues like cerebral palsy or some form of neurological damage. And so the NHS are obviously aware of Group B strep. Uh, what, do pe- what do we currently do in the health system to mitigate the risks of developing infection? How has how it dealt with Group B strep? What we currently do is we use a, a risk factor-based system to determine which women we should be offering special care to, additional care to. So what the what is recommended is we look for risk factors such as mum going into preterm labour, mum having been found to carry group B strep or finding it in the urine at any time during the current pregnancy, or mum having a fever in labour. So if any one of those situations arises then mum should be offered intravenous antibiotics as soon as possible from the start of labour and then at regular intervals until the baby is born. And I I missed one of the, the risk factors, a relatively new risk factor that hasn't made its way to all NHS trusts yet is that where mum carried group B strep in a previous pregnancy, so it was picked up on a vaginal swab or um, she had a urinary tract infection, then those mums should be offered the option of either testing late in pregnancy or having the IV antibiotics in labour. And where a mum has previously had a baby who developed a group B strep infection, then she should always be offered the IV antibiotics in all all future labours. The other thing that that should be happening within the NHS but, again, hasn't quite made it through to the front line is that all pregnant women should be provided with an information leaflet about Group B strep. The 
Royal College of Obstetricians and Gynecologists, which is the the body that develops clinical guidelines, particularly for obstetricians and and, uh, sometimes for midwives, recommended back in September 2017 that information should be provided to women, which is fabulous. And then we worked very closely with the college to develop a patient information leaflet. And that is available free to download from their website and from our website. And the the charity is, uh, at the moment, providing hard copies of that leaflet free of charge to the NHS on request. Mm-hmm. So there's no reason why hospitals and antenatal clinics should not be offering that leaflet to pregnant women. But it's not getting through. It's not getting through. It's absolutely not. So this is why important we talk about it. Because presumably if you request that information, it will be given to you. If you know where to get it, then it will be given to you. So you you talked about the test. There's a test. Because at the moment, just sort of summarizing... They look out for these risk factors. If you have them, they'll give you antibiotics, but it doesn't mean you necessarily have group B strep. So you could be given antibiotics unnecessarily, but also presumably they miss a few cases of group B strep. But you obviously you've talked about this test. So there is a way to test to see whether you've got group B strep before your baby is born. Is that right? Absolutely. So if I can backtrack slightly, group B strep carriage can come and go. So the fact that it's found once doesn't mean somebody has it in perpetuity. Research has shown that whatever a woman's group B strap carriage status is, it's very likely to be the same for the next five weeks. So most developed countries routinely offer all pregnant women, women a test for group B strap, and they do so typically in the last five weeks of pregnancy. Now, nobody knows quite when the last five weeks of pregnancy is going to be, so the proxy for that is 35 to 37 weeks of pregnancy. And the the test that most countries used is a, a test that takes samples from the low vagina and the rectum that can be taken by the midwife or quite commonly by the woman herself. Um, and then those samples are sent to the laboratory where there's a two-step process. The, the samples are putting, put into an enrichment culture that facilitates the growth of group B strep because it can be quite difficult to grow. And then having been in that culture for a while, they're then put onto a, an agar plate and, uh, and left to grow. And that test, when, when done properly, has been shown to be hugely accurate. It's, it's the gold standard for testing for group B strep carriage. And it's been shown to be hugely accurate during those last five weeks of pregnancy. That test at the moment has not been rolled out to all NHS trusts, although the test recommended by the Royal College of Obstetricians and Gynecologists when you're looking for group B strap carriage is exactly that test. And what's that test called? Um, It's usually called the ECM test. Uh, although in countries that use it routinely, they just call it the GBS test. Because there is, is, do the NHS do another kind of test that um, is not quite as accurate? The, there is another test that's sometimes used. So if a woman goes to her midwife or her doctor because she's got, I don't know, vaginal discharge or you know, symptoms, then usually what's taken is a high vaginal swab. And that swab is then put straight onto the agar plate and you see what grows. Sometimes group B strep will grow on those uh, on those samples, but it's not a particularly 
sensitive test. Firstly, you're taking samples from the wrong place. You're taking them from typically from the high vagina rather than the low vagina and the rectum. And then secondly, you don't have that additional enrichment step to encourage the growth of group B strap. So if, if a woman who is carrying group B strap has a standard HVS test, it's going to miss the group B strap carriage about half the time. Okay. So if you have an HVS that is positive, great, you know it's there. But if it's negative, you're still not quite sure. Yeah. So you, the, the ECM test is not available routinely on the NHS, but it is available privately and it's not as expensive as people might think. No, absolutely. There are increasingly hospitals that are introducing the ECM test specifically for women who carried group B strap in a previous pregnancy, but it is absolutely not universal yet. The test is available privately, and the the least expensive way of doing it is to do a home testing pack. And we list on our website the organisations that we know follow the right methodology and those come from those cost from 35 pounds for the test pack and including the reporting so you basically as far as i understand you call up and there's a list of places that do it on your website which we'll give at the end of the podcast and it'll be in the show notes but you call up the the place the laboratory they send you a test pack and i mean speaking of someone who's done it themselves it couldn't be easier to do i mean it's it's sort of less invasive than putting a tampon in i'd say you know it's it's two swabs one that goes up to the vagina and then up the back passage and then you put them back into the little plastic tube and you send it back and then typically what it's three four days before you have a result um yes around that the the labs undertake to uh, to get the to send the results out within three working days of receiving the the samples and they will usually send the results by text as well if you give your mobile number so that speeds up the process and at the very least you can screenshot the result on your phone until you get the hard copy results through the post and you said obviously the cost is sort of from 35 pounds that's pretty standard if you do it yourself it becomes more expensive if you go to your gp privately and get them to do it for you that's presumably what pushes the cost up a bit yes absolutely so some gps will do it and some won't uh, and certainly there are private clinics that that will do it and that pushes the price up um, substantially i'm sandra and i'm just the professional your small business was looking for but you didn't hire me because you didn't use linkedin jobs linkedin has professionals you can't find anywhere else including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role like me in a given month over 70 percent of linkedin users don't visit other leading job sites So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. 
And for people sort of who are listening who might be thinking, oh, God, but what if I don't do it right and then I get an inaccurate result? I mean, it's pretty difficult to do wrong, isn't it? Yes. We've yet to come across someone who's done it completely wrong. And the the packs do come with written and visual instructions. And, you know, it's, it's really not rocket science. It is just an overgrown cotton bud that just inside the vagina and then just inside the rectum. So it yes, it's quite difficult to do wrong unless you're going to drop it down the loo or something. You know? Yeah, yeah. But actually then to, for them to send you a replacement kit is actually often there's no cost at all in terms absolutely. of that. It's not like that's another £35 that you've got to pay. Yeah, absolutely. And and um, different, different sites do it differently, but there is at least one of the providers that you pay when you send the swabs back for culture. So actually you you can order order the test, you know, whenever you like during your pregnancy. Obviously aim to do it in those last five weeks and then send send the samples back with your with your check or your payment, however, uh, at that point. And so obviously if you've decided that, you know, you're going to do this test yourself, you're going to pay for it yourself, the the you know, the undertaking of the test has nothing to do with your care on the NHS. What do you, and, and you're then positive. What do you? What are your then next steps? Well, one of the options is that you can fill in your health team's details when you send the samples back to the laboratory, um, to the private laboratory. So they will then let your health team know direct the result as well. And again, the, the Royal College of Obstetricians and Gynaecologists recommend that if a woman has tested positive during her current pregnancy, provided it's by an accredited laboratory, and all those listed on our website are, then that result should be acted upon within the NHS. So it's a case of making sure that your midwife knows that you've tested positive. The recommendation is that you should be offered intravenous antibiotics as soon as you go into labour but that's offered you need to have a discussion with your health team about what's right for you and for your baby yeah but they'll embrace the I mean they'll acknowledge the results of the test they're not going to sort of say well because this wasn't done by us then we're not you know we're not going to believe it you know you and you also have your handheld notes don't you so if you put those results at the front of your handheld notes then you know everyone dealing with you in your labour will understand. Uh, absolutely, and and we also have little stickers if if someone wants to contact us. That little stickers to put on the front of your handheld notes. Uh, and frankly, Marina, it would be quite brave to ignore a positive result if a woman wanted antibiotic the antibiotics in labour. Yeah. And then in terms of your delivery, if you are group B strep positive and you opt to go for the intravenous antibiotics, how does that change your labour? It changes it less than than I think some people would imagine. Usually the antibiotics are delivered by a cannula, so a, a little tube that's put either into the back of your hand or your arm or somewhere that's going to be convenient for you. The the Antibiotic of choice is penicillin. So clearly, if a woman has ever had any allergic reaction to any antibiotic, it's vitally important they tell their health team and keep telling their health team uh, because alternatives are available. So the antibiotic is given sometimes by a slow injection, which just takes a few minutes, sometimes by a drip, which would take around half an hour. And then the cannula is replugged. So they put a little top on it. Yeah, a little bung on it. And then left in place, which is great because you don't necessarily want a midwife trying to find a vein when you're mid-contraction. And then it's topped up 
typically every four hours until the baby is born. So apart from during the time the antibiotics being delivered, physically delivered, uh, it shouldn't really change what you want to do. You know, if you if you want to bounce on a ball or wander around or you know, in a birth go pool. for a copy, go for a, you know, in a birth pool, it's, it's a really good idea to keep the cannula dry. But actually, if you know that, you can make sure you keep your hand out the water and you can do some clever stuff with kitchen gloves as well if, you, if you're really anxious about getting it wet. So it, it shouldn't change your birth that much. Because I know a lot of people that I speak to, they really want a sort of un, as a, a birth that's as unmedical as possible. And I know the idea of intravenous antibiotics during in labour, it sort of changes that whole perception of I want to do this as naturally as possible. But I think that the, the point is that, you know, you can still be in the birth centre and have these intravenous antibiotics it doesn't make a huge difference to, to what you can do. In terms of monitoring, are they, they monitoring your baby a bit more closely if you're having intravenous antibiotics um, or is that the same? It's pretty much the same. They may well you know to start with as the antibiotics because it's a slight change of of what what's happening in your care but afterwards you know actually uh, once those iv antibiotics are going into you then actually what your what you're being is like a a big pathway to get the antibiotics to the baby so the baby gets a pre-birth dose of antibiotics which can be stopping any infection before it it starts so we want the antibiotics to get to the baby that's the whole the whole reason why you're having them in labor rather than waiting to give them till to till after the baby is born so clearly there's the the routine standard monitoring that goes on and then there'll be the monitoring after baby's born and then the baby's obviously born do they need to have any antibiotics additionally or have they received the full dose through their mother Absolutely, they should have received the full dose through the mother. In an ideal world, that first dose of antibiotics, the recommendation is it's given as soon as possible once labour starts uh, or waters break. And though you should have had the first dose at least four hours before your baby is born, longer is fine. Shorter means they've had less time to cross to baby and set up therapeutic fighting doses in the baby. But either way, antibiotics are fabulous and we want to use them where they're going to do good, uh, but we don't want to give them just in case to a baby. So if you've had at least four hours of antibiotics after the baby is born and you and the baby are well, then there will be no additional monitoring needed. You know, you've done what it needs to prevent these infections in babies. If you've had the antibiotics for a shorter time or you've not had the antibiotics at all, because sometimes labour can be unexpectedly quick, or you've declined the antibiotics, then there will be additional monitoring for the baby. But they won't give the baby antibiotics just in case. They'll only give the baby antibiotics if they have concerns that there might be an infection present. Yeah. And what are the risks? I mean, we obviously, antibiotics are amazing things. They have saved the lives of billions of people worldwide. And yet people don't like using them. And you know, there's a, obviously additional research now about, you know, antibiotics wiping out the good as well as the bad bacteria. What are the negative impacts of babies given being given antibiotics while still in utero? Does it impact their future immunity? Does it impact their gut health? What, what are, the, are there any negative impacts at all? 
Um, the biggest concern about mum having the IV antibiotics when the baby's still in the womb is that she has such a major allergic reaction to the antibiotic that it has a knock-on effect to the baby. And one of the good things about other countries offering routine testing and the antibiotics for decades is that we can learn from their research. And their research very clearly shows that provided you tell your health professionals if you have had any allergic reaction to penicillin or any other antibiotic, that actually it's incredibly safe. And the the risk of having such a major uh, allergic reaction is is tiny, sort of one in hundreds of thousands, if not millions. So that's the that's the biggest concern, because obviously nobody nobody wants mum to have an anaphylactic reaction. In terms of the the baby's microbiome, this is an area where there's a lot of research going on it at the moment, and it's fascinating. And some of it will be reporting it over the next five years, and we'll be uh, we'll be looking with real interest. And penicillin has been chosen as the first line antibiotic, not only because it's really effective against Group B strep also because it's very safe, we've been using it for 70 years, but also because it's quite a narrow-spectrum antibiotic. So it won't kill off everything that's there. It's fairly targeted. So if we're using penicillin rather than, for example, ampicillin, it's going to have less of a widespread impact on the baby's microbiome. The research that I've seen so far is suggesting that there's a bigger impact actually from the antibiotics that are given for caesarean sections because those tend to be a broader spectrum antibiotic and that any impact on the baby's microbiome disappears really quite quickly often by three months and almost always by six months, and that that, uh, those changes can be ameliorated by exclusive breastfeeding. So I think the jury's out yet. We know that there are some impacts, but the other thing that we don't know is what long-term effects those have on the baby. You know, and even whether there are any. Whereas we do absolutely know that if a baby develops an unprevented case of group B strep infection, then that can be very serious indeed. Yeah, I mean, I always sort of like to look at that sort of risk benefit, which is what doctors are always weighing up, aren't they? I mean, they don't want to give antibiotics for the sake of it. Obviously, in in, in a perfectly healthy pregnancy where the mother is known absolutely not to have group B strep, there are greater risks of giving a baby antibiotics unnecessarily. But if the mother is shown to have group B strep, then that, 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 that scale is totally tipped in the other direction. And I was talking interestingly to a pediatric gastroenterologist about kind of gut health and the um, kind of biome in the gut. And he said, you know, every woman's breast milk is totally different. And we think it's because it's tailor made for your baby. And it's the only time ever in our life that we're going to get this tailor made probiotic, prebiotic delivered in one. So whenever I talk to women on the bump class who are a bit worried about taking the antravenous antibiotics, I said, you know, it's not like you have decimated your child's gut flora. You know, it can be recultured and you can then breastfeed. And if you make a real effort to try and breastfeed for as long as you can, then you're doing a huge amount to, uh, you know, produce a healthy, long-term healthy child, then take that risk of, of refusing IV antibiotics when actually it probably is the best thing to do. Absolutely. And breast milk is 
just incredible. I mean, the more we find out about it, the more you go, wow. Did you know about Group B Strep when, before Theo was born? Had anyone talked to you about this? No, the, the first time I heard the expression Group B Strep was when, when my husband and I were just about to leave the neonatal unit after, after Theo had died. And she came up to us and she said, we're not 100% sure, but we think your baby died as a result of Group B Strep infection. And I was quite well-read about pregnancy. This was my second child. Um, I like to learn new things. So I had probably most of the pregnancy and birth books that were available in the UK at the time on my bookshelf. Uh, My husband certainly accused me of that. And I'd read nothing about Group B strap at all. Uh, And And so we went, you know, what is that? And she gave us, I don't really remember what she said. I, uh, the, the really important thing that I remember her saying, because we had a, a three-year-old at the time, because you know, obviously having lost one baby, my first thought was, you know, I, my baby has died from group B strep infection. What's going to happen to my Oliver? And she said, no, don't worry. It's, it's not going to affect your, uh, your, your three-year-old. And that's the only thing I actually remember her telling me. And nowadays... Do you know whether Group B strep is talked about on the NCT antenatal classes or in hospital antenatal classes? It's increasingly a subject that's talked about, but it's not universally talked about yet. And it absolutely should be. I mean, I completely echo what you said earlier, that knowledge is power. We need to be informing women about Group B strep. Uh, so that they can make an educated decision about what's right for them. You know, group B strep is one of those things that if you know about it, you can reduce the risk of your baby developing an infection if you're carrying the bacteria massively. So why wouldn't we want to talk about that? And, I mean, it's rare, isn't it, for a child to die from an infection caused by group B strep. You, I think I read, is it 350 babies a year? There are about, in, in, in the UK and Ireland, there are about 800 babies who develop a group B strep infection. About 500 of those will develop it in the first week of life, the so-called early onset group B strep infections. And it's those infections that are usually preventable with antibiotics in labour. But overall, around about 5 to 7% of those babies who develop group B strep infection will die as a result. Uh, And that's even with, you know, modern, fabulous modern medicine and all the wonderful things that happen in uh, intensive care units. Mm. I mean... I'm I'm very aware as someone who is an antenatal teacher that the last thing we want to do is tell people horror stories, especially the ones that you can't do anything about. You know, you'll hear the terrible stories about the birth that went wrong. or, But this is something you can do something about. And this is why I think it's so important that, that people talk about it. So thank you so much. I've had a look at your website and it's great, actually. So remind me what the uh, URL is for your website. So the, uh, the website is www.gbss.org.uk or go to your search engine and search Group Strap. You'll find it quite quickly. Yeah. And then that's all the information there about where you can be tested. But it's also worth asking your midwife about, because actually, if you're 
NHS Trust does offer the ECMS te- the ECM test, or if you co- you've had Group B strep in a previous pregnancy, it might be that you will get that automatically. But very often, I find with the NHS, you have to ask for something, you have to know about it, and then they'll say, "Oh, let me check." Yes, yes, actually, I, we can organise that for you. So there's another sort of uh, more proof that actually, the more you know, the better. It Absolutely, is. and also if you talk to your midwife about it and she doesn't have information about it signpost her to our website because as i said the charity is providing hard copies of those information leaflets free of charge to the nhs and we are we are delighted to get more requests from nhs hospitals to to send those out so they can be freely given to pregnant women which is what they're there for and do you think the protocol will change do you think there will be a time when all women who are pregnant will have access to the ECM test? I sincerely hope so. There's a new trial that's just starting in the UK that is comparing the UK's current risk-based prevention strategy with two testing arms. One of those is going to be using the ECM test that we've talked about, and the other testing arm is going to be using tests that can be done in labour. And that that should give us definitive information about what is the best approach for the UK setting. It's called uh, GBS3, and it should report uh, towards the end of 2022-2023. The body that determines whether or not a screening programme is offered in the UK is the UK National Screening Committee. And the way the committee works is that they ideally need uh, evidence from the the best possible research on which to to base their decisions. So this GBS3 trial should give us the information that we need to show what is going to do the best at preventing infections in babies. And there'll be lots of additional information that will come out of that, as well as looking at the benefits for babies. It's also going to be looking at some of the potential harms of uh, the use of antibiotics. So that will be a really interesting results to watch out for and I suppose you know for all of those listening obviously hopefully you are going to be aware of group B strep aware of the testing but also talk to your friends about it you know everyone talks to you when you've had a baby if they're having a baby and so just even saying have you heard about group B strep because there is a test that you can do or even buying it for someone as as a kind of present you know probably more useful than another baby grow i think that's that's (laughs) potentially a great present thank you so much jane not only for coming today but for all the campaigning you've done and for the lives that your campaigning will have saved thank you well thank you for inviting me and, and giving me the opportunity to talk to your listeners i really appreciate it Thank you. And thank you all for downloading another episode of The Parenthood. You can subscribe, rate and review wherever you found this podcast. You can also follow me on Instagram. I'm at marina.fogel. But in the meantime, from Jane and me, thanks for listening and goodbye.